also invite you to pray with me today. Holy and gracious God, having heard uh, both scriptures read and sung praises to you, we pray that you would continue to speak a word to us today, that we might be transformed by a word that we hear into your love and your peace and your mercy in the world. It's in your Son, Jesus' name, that we pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, this is uh, another week in our series, The Good Life Together, and we've been exploring this uh, jammed pack phrases of Jesus called the Beatitudes, where Jesus lays out a paradoxical way of happiness and goodness in this life. I use the word happy even though the, script, the, uh, the gospel reading was blessed because it's another way to describe that Greek word as happy, blessed, full, whole. God calls us to live a life of wholeness. And we've been exploring some of the ways in which we seek to do that in our own and then some of the ways in which God kind of turns that up on its head. And that the first week we talked about how blessed are the poor, not the rich. And last week we talked about how blessed are those who are sad, which seems to make no sense at all. One of the things that I reflect on over the last week is that a number of people had been caught up in emotion and, and the feeling of sadness. And as they were telling me about the description of the feelings that they had, both in the, the sermon, but then also later on in the music that we had done, it was a sadness that didn't end in defeat. It was a sadness of perhaps grief or a memory that kind of stirred in them something. Because that's what Jesus was trying to do through this. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. It doesn't end in defeat, even though we sometimes see the words as such. This morning, our scripture that we're going to focus on is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be given mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be given mercy. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard uh, the term Karen before. Has anyone ever heard that before? Um, so it showed up in my, my feed uh, the other day because my feed is like Instagram, like a reel. But it was, it was really, really funny. It, Karen is a term that's given to people just in general that all they can do is grouch at other people. And it was uh, filmed as like a documentary for like, uh, you know, an animal like National Geographic, and it goes, you know, like some fancy name like Grumpy Savinicus uh, goes up against the minimum wages, and it meant to say Karen and a waiter, right? And so there Karen was just ready and poised at any moment to pounce at this minimum wage worker for the smallest mistake that they made. And sure enough, the, the waiter like, you know, spilt a drip of water and her posture was ready to like attack on this specific waiter. And then she just goes to town on him and he just kind of like leaves and goes and, and then it goes and she wins again, right? And she wins again. Um, and, and I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this sermon, because I think about some of the people that you might know that are just always kind of like the ones that are like the, the Karen in the room, right? Like they always have something negative to say about the people they encounter or about the situation they're at. And, and you think about those people in particular, and you wonder to yourself, what question? 
are they happy, <laughs> right? Blessed are the grumpy in life because they always find something to be upset about, right? That's what Jesus says, right? And in fact, the, the attitude of those people, I, I have not met one of those people that just like tends to like kind of, you know, get ruffled, but that is joyful outside of the context. And that was what the person was talking about, was the joy was coming from the, like, kind of the being upset at another. Jesus invites us to a, a totally different mentality, and I begin with this sort of trivial thing, but then we're going to get on to something a little bit deeper later, and that is to see the world as if we are not entitled to the benefits that we think that we are. He says it before that blessed are the poor because they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger. The theme throughout the Beatitudes, and we've talked about this already, is not one where we have, but one where we receive. One where we're open to the goodness that God might bring to us. And Jesus uses lots of different stories throughout, uh, throughout the Bible uh, or throughout his time. But one of the ones that stands out to me that shows what blessed are the merciful might look like is the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you familiar with the Good Samaritan? Yeah, the Samaritan. Uh, so the story of the Samaritan is pretty simple. It's, uh, there's a, a Samaritan man who's walking along this dangerous path, and he finds himself mugged by a bunch of robbers, left for dead, and a number of people, or not Samaritan men, a person was there, and a number of people come by, and first it's a priest, and they kind of walk alongside, and then another within the inner circle of the Jewish culture walks alongside, and it was a Samaritan man that decides to stop and take care of this person that was abandoned. But he doesn't just stop and take care of this person. He gives money and sends him on his way or and brings him to an inn and says to the innkeeper, whatever you need, I will take care of this person and I will pay back anything that you have. And it would have been easy for anyone in that context to move on just like the priest did. And Jesus tells this story because for him it is vitally important for how we live out the good life. Because the, the Jews and the Pharisees at the time were kind of in tunnel vision, at least so Jesus had seen, where they, they knew the laws and they knew what they were supposed to do, and they were so narrowly focused on what they needed to do for themselves and what they needed to do according to the Torah that they were missing the broader problem. And what was unfathomable to any Jewish listener of Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan is that the one who ends up helping was someone who most of the people in Jerusalem and around would have despised. There's a phrase, nothing good could have come from Samaria because they were no good, bad, theologically driven people. They were just the wrong side of the tracks. And so who could do something good from that sort of neighborhood? Who could do something good from that sort of neighborhood? Jesus tells this story, I think, twofold. One was so that we might always be like the Good Samaritan, right? 
that we might show mercy to anyone that we come across in need of care and love, who's injured in harm's way. A clear juxtaposition of the Pharisees is, do not be like them, but be like the Samaritan. But the other component, in fact, the deeper one that many of us kind of gloss over sometimes, is the racial dynamic at work within the Good Samaritan. Because not only are we supposed to be the ones who give mercy, but we're supposed to see the Samaritan man as someone capable of giving it. As someone capable of giving it. And friends, I think that the second part of that is the harder part. The second part of that is the harder part because we are so ingrained within our sort of logic to judge people, aren't we, sometimes? You know, we joke about the Karens are grumpy and they have the attitude, but we too can, you know, throw up the levels of judgment based on, you know, the person who rides me behind me with the lifted truck, you know, they must be a... I don't know what your phrase is going to be, but you have in your mind who you normally think of when they do that to you. It drives you bonkers, and you can't believe that those people do that. Or perhaps when you're on an airplane and the person next to you, you know, the same one that is always booked in the seat next to you does the thing that drives you nuts the most, right? Whether it's, you know, the loud chewing of the food, you know, like while you're trying to focus, or maybe it's the, I got to go to the bathroom, I got to go to the bathroom, right? You know, and you decided that you were going to choose the aisle seat that one time so you could kind of have space, you know, the every time that person, and then when you get on the new flight, the person you know it's going to be is going to be right next to you yet again. And you've judged them before they sat down because you just knew that that's fate for you. We, friends, have that tendency, don't we? To see others and their actions and to put them sort of in their boxes accordingly. We do it, uh, and it's almost like a natural like, way of being human, it seems. But Jesus seems to try to challenge that every step of the way. And not just Jesus, but the Apostle Paul in Ephesians tries to do the same. See, because when we see through the lens of Jesus, we don't see others according to our expectations for them. When we see through the lens of Jesus, we see someone who is now made righteous in God's eyes, made good worthy of mercy and forgiveness and grace. Jesus and the Apostle Paul invite us to see one another in those eyes. I, one of the classes I had to take while I was at Duke Divinity School, which is where I did my graduate work, was a black intellectuals class. And the class uh, was taught by uh, J. Cameron Carter, and he was just the uh, smoothest-looking black intellectual you will ever meet. I mean, he's got the glasses, and he walks into the room, and he is just inspiring in everything that he says. But one of the things that he does more than anything is challenge the students to see ways in which they 
we live into problematic theology. And one of the key things that he says, he says, the problem of race, which he didn't make up on his own, he got from Du Bois, who's a black intellectual from the turn of the century, is the problem of race is epidermalization. Epidermalization. Which is a super fancy word for saying categorizing someone based on the color of their skin. Categorizing someone based on the color of their skin. So that when you see someone and you see their skin tone, you know not just something about them, he said, but you know who they will be in the future and who they will become and how they will act. I use the joke of the person that sits next to you on the plane, right? You know what they're going to do, something totally annoying. But this is something that's part of, that becomes part of one's identity. It becomes who they are capable to be in your eyes. And throughout the history of the church, at times, who those in power say someone is capable to be within God's eyes as well. And friends, we in Hawaii might feel removed from conversations of race that challenge us. But you open up any one of your news, even Hawaii News Now, and I guarantee you'll see what in your newsfeed? The tragic loss of another black man at the hands of police. Tyree Nichols. And we can talk about policing and policies and all of those things. But let's not go there. Because you want to know what? Jesus could have talked about the Roman Empire. He could have talked about the problems and all of the situations and the plight and the policies that were being instilled. But instead, you want to know what he does? Challenges all with a story of a racially wrong person doing something incredibly right. He flips it upside down. Because I think that what Jesus knows is that the problem isn't just the policies, because I don't know about you, but I can't change those. But what I can change is the root of the problem entirely which according to my black intellectuals professor, is something as simple as not determining someone by the nature of their skin. And I say simple, but I said just earlier, it's natural for us, right? It's natural for us to categorize and to box people based on their actions, the words they use, the slogans that they have, the decals they have on their trucks. It's just so easy. But the Apostle Paul knows something about how we interact with one another. And for him, for us to live into a unity together, it's to live into a unity where we're covered in the grace of Christ. 
That by the blood of Christ, he says, we are reconciled, and all that which was hostile towards one another is now capable of being one body together. Because we no longer need to see people according to whatever sins they have committed or might commit or see in the future. And it's not even just the sins, it's the actions, the sort of the wrongness, the not living according to the way we see it, or as the Jews would say, the law. That that doesn't matter because God has done the work for us. And that now we are capable of seeing one another, not as threats, annoyances, problems, but as unique gifts bearing the image of God because they have been made new already. So whatever that trigger is for you, whether it's the language and the music they're listening to, whether it's the actions that they have, so to speak, the trigger in you to judge a person based on those ought to not be a trigger anymore, but an opportunity for you to see the image of God differently, in a new way, in a unique way. I've told the story of when I went to North Carolina to be a counselor at a camp over the summer at Windy Gap. It was a Young Life camp. And I just happened to be from a small town in Minnesota that is mostly all white. And I then went to the camp, and it just happened to be Urban Month, which was a better way to say to mostly black month because it was in the south. And so all the people from Montgomery and other places from the inner city would come to the camp. And so there I was, and I was used to always being the white kid in camp. Or at, in like the, like just being this, because I was uh, being all similar faces. But when I went there, I was a handful of white people amongst the sea of black faces. And one of the things that I had learned there, I could not understand why some of the black Christian friends, black Christian friends, could use the language that they did. Because they were serving alongside. One of the things that uh, Young Life does is it hopes to introduce people to the gospel right? You introduce people to the gospel, and then you start your journey of faith, and then you go on to continue that faith. And, uh, and so there I was with others that were, you know, there to inspire others. You know, we'd already been converted or, you know, believed in Jesus and been on this path. But the language that my fellow Christians were using that happened to be black was unacceptable to me. How could they be Christians and use that language, I said. I couldn't see through the veil of my own judgment, and I used my understanding of the Bible, my understanding of Christian piety as the way in which I would do that. Later on, throughout the rest of that month together, I found that they were some of the most loving, friendly, and funny people I would meet but I had to get past my own preconceived judgments of them and their actions 
And I remember getting calls from Deshaun a number of times throughout the course of the next year, and we would check in on one another, and we were living radically different lives in different places. But what I learned from him was amazing. I wonder what it would be like if we dropped the veil of judgment. And next time we're tempted to criticize and to judge, we might offer mercy instead. And as we do that more and more and see others as the gift of Christ, I wonder what it would look like and how it might have looked different for Tyree, for all of those that went before him, if they would not be seen as a threat based on the color of their skin. It's simple, but it's a massive problem. And the change begins with us to see Christ in one another. For blessed are the merciful, for they will be given mercy, Jesus says. Let us offer mercy. Let us let the love of God come into us to take away even those silly preconceived notions. Because who knows? That person next to you on the plane might just have something of worth to give you. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for challenging us. It would have been so much easier had you been the Messiah that just overthrew the Roman Empire and fixed all of our problems. But instead, you press deeper, challenge us to be one, even amidst our differences, to see the Samaritan as a beacon of hope and faithfulness. Let us drop the veil of our own judgments, whatever they be, and offer mercy so that where there is racism and sexism and oppression based on whatever ism we find, instead we might find forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy. Amen.